You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. How about flipping the script and saying, okay, why don't we get it once in some safe place, right? And then reuse it over and over again without ever giving out any personal information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Raj Anathan Pillai. He is CEO of Trua, and we're talking about privacy concerns in ChatGPT. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, before we dig into our stories this week, we have a couple of items of follow-up here. What do we got? We do indeed. Clayton wrote in to uh, comment about your story either last week, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Yeah, about the bomb threats being used to shut down uh, retail stores for ransom. Mm -hmm. There was a brief discussion about whether this was an escalation of ransomware, but I would argue it is an escalation of swatting. Mm. Uh, call it monetizing uh, swatting, if you will, the monetization of swatting. Yeah. Uh, great show as always. I'll agree with that. I think that's a pretty good assessment. Yeah, I, I could go with that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Clayton, for sending that in. Uh, we got another note from a listener named David who said, uh, Hacking Humans, longtime listener, listening to your podcast about wire fraud prevention and wondering why you never suggest sending a $50 test wire before sending the $700,000 purchase price, 100% robust against third-party fraud. Well, David, the reason uh, that I've never suggested this is quite simple, and that is because I've never thought of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for the suggestion. I, I, I mean, it seems solid to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done this, actually. Oh, yeah? Uh, with, yeah, with other, not with wire transactions, but with any crypto transaction, I always send a very small amount first to see if it gets there. Right. Uh, and right. then send the rest of it to the same address. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, you, this could easily be applied to um, uh, to to real estate transactions. Yeah, no, no problem. Seems like a solid uh, plan to me. I yeah, mean, that way you're <laughs> only out fifty bucks. You're not out seven hundred thousand. Yeah. You know what? I'll bet. I'll bet. So I'll, I would be willing to bet that a reason why this is not a routine practice is that it probably costs like five bucks. Twelve dollars, I think. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So twelve dollars so, to wire money. Right. So in the 700000 or whatever, you know, a multiple $100,000 transaction of buying a home. Right. 
people are probably really concerned about not having to pay an extra I don't want to $12. Pay $24. Right. Which, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, look, I understand. You know, if, if you want to save every possible bit. But right. uh, as David points out here, that, I mean, that's to me, that seems like money well spent. <laughs> that's penny wise, but pound foolish. There I you think. go. There you yes, go. Yes, I think, I think it is well spent, money well spent to send a test transaction. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, David, for sending that in. It's a, a good idea, and uh, Clayton as well. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for our show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. All right, let's dig in with our stories uh, this week. I have one. Uh, this comes from The Record. Uh, this is from the folks over at Recorded Future, their, their news organization. And it's a story by Jonathan Grieg. Uh, and it's titled, Called a Bogus Airline Customer Support Number. Google is hustling to fix that. Hmm. Uh, this article uh, tells the story of a gentleman named uh, Shmuley Evers who discovered that his flight uh, from JFK Airport was canceled. So he Googled customer support for Delta. <laughs> and he called Delta customer support, and he was just about to hand over his credit card information when he realized that he was speaking to a scammer who had replaced the number for Delta's JFK office on Google with another number. Now, what makes this particularly interesting is, you know, you and I have talked about um, folks basically buying ads yeah. on Google right. to, to get their... Uh, they're fake ads for services at the top of the list yep. for SEO. And I've called those numbers before. Yeah. But that's not what happened. That's not what was going on here. What was going on here, evidently, is that someone managed to replace the phone numbers in Google Maps with the fake phone numbers. How do they do that? Well... They probably clicked on that thing, do you own this business? It's, this remains a mystery, Joe. Mm -hmm. So we'll dig into that. So... As you know, when you Google a company name or something like that, a lot of times the first thing that pops up is Google's own little summary of that business. Yes. And that includes a component from Maps and other, you know, it'll have a link to their website and a link to online reviews and a summary of what that business is. And so it seems as though in this case it was pulling phone numbers from Google Maps. Um, this gentleman, after running into this situation, he checked... Uh, support phone numbers for a bunch of different airlines at JFK, and he discovered that Delta, American Airlines, Southwest, Air France, Qantas, ITA Airways, and Turkish Airways all had bogus phone numbers huh. on Google Maps. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many people have been scammed. That's a good question. Uh, the folks at uh, The Record contacted Google, and uh, they didn't— <laughs> let, me, let me see. Hold on. Let me use my my powers of 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 clairvoyance here. Yeah, they uh, they didn't respond. Well, or they didn't. They did they respond? <laughs> they did. Okay, but I bet you can guess what the response was. Security is our number one concern. <laughs> Close. We're, yeah. we're endeavoring to make sure this doesn't happen again. You're, yes, and we're trying to fix it right now. You are in the right neighborhood. Okay. That is, you, you've paraphrased what they said <laughs> with great uh, precision and foresight. So, uh, yeah. Google said, uh, we have stopped more than 20 million attempts to create fake business profiles. Uh, um, <laughs> With 20 million attempts, one or two are bound to get through. Right. Well, you can't expect us to be perfect. Right. Um, so this gentleman, um, Evers, uh, posted about this on Twitter, which I think is is how the record found out about this case. And 
lots of people said that they had been scammed uh, after find, using fake numbers that they found on Google Maps or Google Search. Um, Any I've, idea to the amount of the losses these people have faced? No, no, this article doesn't go there. Um, but uh, people have theorized that uh, this is some of the folks who responded uh, in comments on Twitter People had theorized that Google was simply approving changes to pages yeah. without cha- checking with the businesses themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Because that would involve a human doing something. Right. Right? And somebody probably found a weakness in Google's process, mm-hmm. exploited the weakness, and redirected all these companies' phone calls to them. Right. Right. Now, since then, the numbers, the correct numbers have been replaced on Google Maps. Good. But you got to wonder... I mean, how how is Google going to go about checking every number on Google Maps? Yeah, here's a good question. What about the mom and pop business? Yeah. You know, somebody that doesn't have the pull of American Airlines or Delta or whoever, right? Right. It, you know, it, it's it's like Broadway Deli or something like that. Yeah. Broadway Deli went out of business. But, uh, you know, what do these guys do when Google has hosed them to a point where, I mean, because yeah. imagine imagine you have a small business and you get some malicious guy that you you mess up their order or something, and now they want to take it out on you. They want to make you pay. So they go and they redirect all the calls on Google that everybody searches uh, to some disconnected phone number or something like that. Yeah. And now nobody can reach you and your business plummets. And, I mean, but there's nothing you can do because – you're not a large company that has lawyers, right? Right. Right. So you can't you can't threaten Google with uh, with misinformation or whatever. Whatever. Now, I don't know how the, how they go about doing this. Well, and I would suppose these days in in this era of voice over IP, where it's so easy to spin up phone numbers. Yeah. Uh, if I was the scammer doing this, and and I wanted to come after you know um, Joe's amazing deli, right? Right. I could spin up a unique phone number, put that on Google Maps. People start calling Joe's Amazing Deli for Joe's Amazing Deli sandwiches. I start taking orders. Yeah. But what, what what I'm getting at is here by spinning up that phone number, when someone calls in, I know to answer the call and say Joe's Amazing Deli. Right. Right. And you start taking little, orders and charging credit cards. Right. Exactly. Uh, so it's very little effort for me to be able to do that uh, and run some kind of call center where I could just be taking calls from all kinds of business. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if there's any liability here for Google. I mean, Google provided the wrong information. I'll bet that if you look in their end-user license agreement, there's no liability for them. Yeah, I'm sure you're Um, right. But uh, I don't know. I think you might be able to make a court case because these businesses uh, might be able to uh, assert some kind of standing because Google has misrepresented them in a large public forum, which Google is, mm-hmm. uh, they might have some some liability there, and there's no EULA that's going to cover them from that. Yeah. The other thing I wonder is, who do you trust? <laughs> right. right. I mean, if you can't trust Google Maps with giving you the correct phone number, because I've used that for many things. Sure. I, you know, I've you know I've looked up my that's the only way I do it on the on my phone. Right. Right. It's. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the the answer is you you go to the website that you know is the company, and then you look for their customer service number. Yeah. I mean, in this case, though, they were looking for specific numbers at specific airports. Right. 
Right. Uh, which would be, I imagine, harder to dig in, dig down and find on yes. the company's big national. I'm sure there is no list. way you can find Delta's JFK number without Googling it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, beware, folks. Uh, this is a new twist on an old scam. Yep. So uh, I would also say if you're a small business owner, go uh, check your business, how your business is listed on Google Maps and make sure that the information they have is accurate. Yeah, and make sure that, uh, make sure that y- you have ownership of that. Right, right. All right, that's my story this week. Joe, what do you have for us? Dave, my story comes from TechCrunch, and it was written by Zach Whitaker, and the title is Spy Hide Stalkerware is Spying on Tens of Thousands of Phones. Hmm. So we've talked before about stalkerware yeah. on, on this show, and it's essentially, it's spyware that somebody else installs on your phone. Right. These products are manufactured, uh, you know, written and sold under the auspices of being child safety applications. Right. But they are not. They right. are almost exclusively <laughs> used by abusive partners right. for the purposes of monitoring and controlling all the communication of the partner they're abusing. That's right. That is that is the intended audience of these apps. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any legitimate reason for this. Well, this story is about a phone surveillance app called SpyHide, which is one of these apps that, that they actually call it right here, spouseware, Hmm. um, that's planted on a victim's phone, often without their knowledge and by somebody who knows the passcode. Right. And the app is designed to lay low and stay hidden on the phone. And it does this by pretending to be the Google Settings app or by pretending to be a ringtone app. Hmm. So if you go looking for it, you won't find something called SpyHide. You'll find um, you'll find a ringtone app or something that looks like Google Settings, but it's just another... It, it is this app, but it looks like another Google Settings app. Okay. Um, it has to be sideloaded. It can't... They, they, don't, they don't have this in the, uh, the Google Play Store. Okay. So it's not available, but... There is a security researcher out of uh, Switzerland who has posted a blog post about how they have penetrated the network here by exploiting a few vulnerabilities, and they found all the data for 60,000 compromised Android devices is the way they're described. There are actually 65,000 devices with these things installed. All the way back to 2016 up to the date of exfiltration in July. Wow. So... One of the things that TechCrunch did, this person provided the, uh, the, the data to TechCrunch. And TechCrunch, they say that they did this offline. They didn't, they didn't go to an online service to do this. They, they put the data into a mapping application. And there is a great picture in here of how this app has tracked people across the United States. Hmm. And it looks very similar to one of those pictures of the United States at night pictures. Right, right, right. Maybe with uh, like the highway system superimposed over it, which, right. make, well, which makes sense. The highway system <laughs> is superimposed on it. I mean, I can see most of Interstate 70 right here going across. <laughs> right. There are some spots where Interstate 70 is not covered, yeah. uh, but it. I can see it going like from somewhere in Ohio down to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But um, this data is from all over the world. And actually, the U.S. data is a small fraction of it. Huh. Um, but the person who who did this, who... I don't know how to say it, this app uh, and these vulnerabilities. They, If they were in the U.S., they may have violated some laws with what they've done. Okay. But uh, they're in Switzerland, which I think has a very liberal policy on these things. I see. So 
uh, I'm glad that this person has done this and posted this and that TechCrunch can, can post an article about it. But the software, they think it was made in Iran and it's being hosted out of Germany. Huh. So I think, you know, we all, we've said this a hundred times before that these, these kind of apps are just reprehensible and the people that make them and write them are, are terrible people. Uh, and I, I, I still say that. I don't, I don't have any change in my feeling on that. Yeah. Uh, but there is a list of things you can do. They have a general guide, a link in the, in the article that's a general guide to, the, uh, to how you can protect yourself from these kind of apps. And the first thing they say is make sure that your Google Play Protect is on. Now, I checked my Google Play Protect settings today Okay. Uh, when I was reading this article, and I didn't see a way to turn it off, which was good. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I, it is on on my phone, and you can scan apps, and it will let you know if it finds anything. Uh, a lot of these apps make use of accessibility services. Right. So accessibility services exist on your phone for people who are disabled, right. people who can't see things, people who can't hear things, people who can't uh, see the colors properly. Yeah. So these things are there for them to uh, provide the information but these accessibility services can be misused by spyware, by spy apps, uh, mm. to collect all the same data and to feed it up to the cloud. These guys are just going out and sucking up all this data. They really don't care about the uh, the privacy of the people that they're infringing upon. What they're what they care about is getting the money from the people that want to monitor these other people. These yeah, things. and this article points out that. These apps are are buggy. I mean, they're they're oh, yeah. not they're generally not well written apps. That's which a good point, Dave. It's I not for- something you want to have on your phone anyway. I forgot to mention that they are buggy. They are notoriously buggy. Yeah, uh, and because they're just written quickly, and their 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 goal is to make as much money as possible as quickly as possible before they probably get shut down. So right? let me ask you this on on um on the Android side of things, which you know, I'm not that familiar with. Right? Can you uh, restrict side loading? You can. In yeah. fact, you have to enable it. Okay. Right. So it comes out of the box right. with sideloading restricted. Correct. So presumably the person who's putting this on your phone. Yes, yeah, somebody has physical access to your device. Right. right. Um, which is bad. Yeah. Uh, there, there is another caution here about, the, about disabling the device. Um, because... And it says so right in the article. Remember that switching off the spyware will likely alert the person who planted it, mm. uh, which may be a problem for the person who's being spied upon. Right. Uh, and at the bottom of this article, there is a uh, a, a telephone number for the National D- Domestic Violence Hotline. Yeah. So if you're being spied upon this way uh, and you have the ability to terminate that relationship and you just find out about it, I don't know. That would be a deal breaker for me, Dave. Yeah. Um, and... I don't want to pretend to know everybody's situation, but if you're, sure. if you're, I would terminate any relationship where I found that to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, everyone's situation is different and there are lots of people who are in situations where it is not easy to leave. Yeah. You can't just so, walk away from it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you went looking for something like this on your device and mm. you're worried that, uh, if the person who puts it on there may be displeased right. at finding you taking it off, I wonder if it's in your best interest to accidentally, on purpose, have the device the device be lost or destroyed or 
you know, air quotes, stolen. Or reset. Yeah, yeah, reset, something like, yeah. I mean, I suppose if you reset it, um, you could say, oh, I don't know what happened. You You know, know, I I had some problems with the phone. I called tech support. They told me to reset the phone. That's what I did. Yeah, right. But then how do you keep the person... Presumably, if the person had access to the device, then right. they're assuming that they're going to have access to the device again because why don't you trust me? You know, right? Yeah, uh, that sort of thing. What are you? What are you trying to hide? You know, <laughs> um, I had that discussion on the phone the other day with somebody, uh, my my uh, new cable provider. They oh. said, "Oh, you got to connect that device to our router." I'm uh-huh. like, "No, nah, I'm connecting it to my router." And they're like, "Why not? Why not ours?" And I said, "Because I don't trust you." <laughs> that was the sentence that came out of my mouth and the guy on the phone was like uh uh, uh. <laughs> he had never had anybody say that to him <laughs> right maybe they sell uh, or maybe they'll send you in the mail uh, like a logoed tinfoil hat <laughs> <laughs> they that should would, have those for that when they great. run into folks great. like you yeah just. i should just keep a tinfoil hat by the door so whenever anybody knocks on it right i go "Ooh, it's a solicitor let me get yeah. my tinfoil hat yeah the other thing I've heard that's very effective for getting people to keep their conversations with you short, uh, this also works for keeping people from sitting next to you on an airplane. Boy, I really want to hear this. <laughs> it's, uh, just take a nice, take a little piece of string and just hang it out of your mouth. <laughs> what? Just take a piece of string, like a piece of twine. Right. Just hang it out of your mouth. And that keeps people away. Yeah, because you open the door and who's you got a piece of string hanging out of your mouth. Somebody's coming down the aisle in the airplane. They look at you, and you're just looking at them, and you have a piece of string hanging out of your mouth. They don't want to get anywhere close to that. <laughs> I don't right? know. Why does that... That kind of makes me want to sit next to somebody. I, there's a story here, and I want to hear it. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> well, not like you. most people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a way... It's uh, I remember, it reminds me of the old Far Side cartoon about how nature tells you to stay away. <laughs> yeah. Nature's way of saying don't touch. Right, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what it is. All right, well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's all it, it's always a bit chilling when we wander into this area of, yeah. of uh, bad relationships and, and people in bad situations. Yeah, I don't like uh, talking about these things, but yeah. we have to talk about them. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, we'll have a link to the story in the show notes. Again, written by uh, Zach Whitaker, a great journalist uh, and author. Uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a few times. Uh, Generally, if he writes it, it's worth reading. So uh, do check that out. Like you said, we'll have a link for that in the show notes. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Isak, who writes, Hi, Dave and Joe. Big fan here. You guys, as well as Dave and Ben, are classic duos. Yeah, you're the member of two classic duos. Then. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't, I can't, I can't pick my favorite, though, Ben. Or Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just did, Dave. Yeah, there you go. Oh, well. That's okay. out of the bag. <laughs> yep. So... Isak goes on to write, this this is a spam email I got a few months back. I get lots of spam emails, as most people, I'm sure, do. But this one is funny in particular. Uh, It definitely had me spooked a little bit when I saw my old password in the first line, but I quickly realized there was no real issue. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, he he says, I hope hope this gets some laughs. Uh, Take care. So... Dave, All right. I, I like think this. you can guess what kind of email this is going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it says, 
I know your old password is your password on day of hack. Let's get directly to the point. Not one person has paid me to check about you. You do not know me, and you're probably thinking, why are you getting this email? In fact, I actually placed malware on the Adult Vids website, and you know what? You visited this site to experience fun. You know what I mean. When you were viewing videos, your browser started out operating as a RDP, having a keylogger which provided me with accessibility to your display and webcam. He doesn't have a webcam, though. Immediately after that, my malware obtained every one of your contacts from your messenger, Facebook, as well as email account. Uh, He also doesn't have a Facebook account. After that, I created a double-screen video. First part shows the video you were viewing. You have nice taste, OMG. And second part displays the recording of your cam, and it's you. Best solution would be to pay me $2,747. We're going to refer to it as a donation. In this situation, I most certainly will, without delay, remove your video. My Bitcoin address. You could go on your life like this never happened, and you will not ever hear back again from me. You'll make the payment via Bitcoin. If you're planning on going to the law, surely this email cannot be traced back to me because it's hacked too. (laughs) I've taken care of my actions. I'm not looking to ask you for a lot. I simply want to be paid. If I do not receive the Bitcoin... I definitely will send out your video recording to all of your contacts, including friends and family, co-workers, and so on. Nevertheless, if I do get paid, I will destroy the recording immediately. If you need proof, reply with, yeah, then I will send out your video recording to your eight friends. It's a non-negotiable offer, and thus, please don't waste mine, time, and yours by replying to this message. Don't ever reply to these messages. <laughs> uh, in keeping with the uh, with uh, the anonymous person who wrote in last week, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that yeah that you should not re- reply to these messages in particular. Uh, these right. are all pretty much scams, and it's just a basic sextortion scam. But all they do is they search for an old password breach with an email and password pair, right? And they 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 send the email to the email address and they put the password. In. It's all automated. Yeah. So uh, I would like to check the. Um, the Bitcoin address, but it's unfortunately, uh, Isak sent it to us as a picture, not a text file. Uh, so I can't check it because, I mean, I could go ahead and enter it. I'm not. But you're lazy. But I'm lazy. That's right. <laughs> very, very lazy. Okay. Yeah. I, I think your point that um, the emotional response this draws when you yeah. see your one of your old passwords yeah. in an email yeah, that, makes you go, whoa. That's one of the, the things thing. that Isak said right off the bat, he said, that scared me a little bit. Yeah. made him. I'm sure it made his heart skip a beat. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, don't fall for these no. things. They're just uh, just scams. They are just scams. Yeah. Best to ignore them. It is. Odd that they want $2,747. Yeah. Why not I, just $2,500? I'll bet you that having an oddly specific number like that is, uh, or gets less scrutiny from uh, spam filters. Ah, maybe. Yes. I would, I mean, that's a wild guess, but maybe. it seems plausible. All right. Well, uh, thank you for sending this in to us. Again, we would love to hear from you. You can send us a potential catch of the day to hackinghumans at n2k.com. Send them in, folks. Back to the concept of integrations. 
Nobifor's security coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. That's knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Raj Anathan Pillai. He is CEO of a company called Trua. And we're talking about privacy concerns with ChatGPT and the other large language models. Here's my conversation with Raj. Oh, right off the bat, anybody using ChatGPT or any of those uh, generative AI, never start with putting nothing, meaning nothing personal. Start there, okay? Not even your name. So try and use it. And then as you get better and better at it, then you can say, okay, you can put a name in there because these systems don't require you to identify yourself. But unfortunately, people are putting all kinds of personal information, their family information, and so on and so forth. Remember, this is a one-way street. You can never go back to these uh, generative tools and say, take out my name, hey, delete my this or that. If you look at the terms of service, is multi-page, fine print, you know, uh, you need a magnifying glass to even read it or understand it. And that's how they are getting away with it. Yeah. And, and, and it is very, very dangerous to put personal information because they take all your input to fine-tune their algorithms over time. That's exactly what happens. So you point out uh, in some of uh, your research that, you know, there's, there are things that I think people will put into this that they don't consider being personal information. For example, uh, someone might uh, might upload a resume and say, help me reformat this resume. But there's all kinds of information on a resume. Absolutely, because Lombard, everything is scannable, right? So they scan. I don't know how they upload it. Uh, they scan it, and then your name, the employer. So those are all what I call identifying information at some point, right? Somebody is going to use, just like, KBAs, non-based authentication, Bloomberg, way back when, or even some of the uh, institutions used that. Hey, what kind of car did you drive in 1992? What color was your car? Or where did you live during this year, right? Those are all historical information that are always being used for authentication purposes. And now imagine your employment history as, a, as part of your resume becoming part of that. That could be another dangerous avenue for somebody to hack and, and start using it, you and your profile for fraudulent purposes. So can we imagine that someone could go into, for example, a chat GPT interface and say, tell me everything you know about Raj's work history? 
Yes, you could. If it already has that, right? I've already put in there. Even otherwise, they're going to scrape it anyway. They go find different things already that's in the public domain, right? They're going to find something. Even today, you and I can Google, for example, about anybody, any place, right? Whether it's true or not, that's a different story. But they have enough information to go out and start interacting with you as if they are genuine, right? And that's all it takes for somebody to easily succumb to some of those fraudsters. Think about spoofing. Think about phishing, right? They're, they're being used as if it's coming from you. It's the same concept at, at a level that's probably 100 times more than what you're experiencing today. You know, I, I think it's safe to say that there is true utility with some of these tools. But as you point out, I mean, it, it's so alluring to put information in there because the, the answers you get back, I mean, you, you hear people talking uh, as if these things are almost therapists. That is true. That is, that is the thing about this uh, chat GPT. What happened was somehow this became a, what I call a mainstream slash consumer excitement. Usually these are technologies that are used by big corporations to automate stuff, to do big things, right? Somehow it's got into the mainstream consumer, you know, and everybody's just toying with it, in my opinion. That is the big thing. If you think about some of the major technologies, right, it took a long time before uh, consumers started using it, right? But they were not necessarily geared towards consumers, are there ways that people can use this sort of technology in a safer way? Can you, is it possible to run something like this on a local instance? Uh, yeah, and as long as the, the, the provider of the tool assures you that your personal information is going to be erased right after that. Because you don't want to leave any personal information behind the scenes, right? Because they need that information to generate whatever you're trying to tell the uh, tool to generate, right? So otherwise, it's going to be a garden variety vanilla response. So you're looking for specific input from this particular tool. So the key is to always minimize the number of personal information. Again, what you're looking from these tools is not necessarily anything absolutely personal. If they don't have anything about you personal, it's going to take a while before you start gathering some of the personal information. But they're going to say, hey, how do I reduce uh, my anxiety, for example? right? And my name is this, I work in this industry, right? Bingo, you put your name, you put your industry category. So they're going to keep that for their future um, analysis purpose. But if you say, I am, uh, you know, uh, Joe or Jane Smith, and I work in a fictitious industry, right? You don't care about it. You're looking for output from it. So that is how I would approach for a while until this dust settles. What about business information? You know, I've heard of folks taking things like annual reports and, and uploading them to have them reformatted or reworded. Big, big time no-no because it has some proprietary information, confidential information that is the big no-no in my opinion because you are literally uh, letting somebody else hack into it. What are your Sorry, recommendations no. for folks who are charged with securing their own organizations? I mean, it strikes me that if you cut off access to ChatGPT altogether, that might not be the most practical path, but at the same time, you want people to be aware of the risks. Yes, you, you can, uh, you know, uh, filter and control some of those kinds. Of, for example, there are a lot of tools out there, right? And, and of course, you need to develop them. 
like if you're trying to go to a, a porn site in a, in, a, in a corporate environment, they block those things. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that, right? Many forward-looking organizations. Or if you're trying to go to a gambling site, you cannot go there from the computer. So similarly, we have provisions where if you have social security number or any personal information as you're inputting, it'll block that email right off the bat. So similar concepts have to be derived and developed for interacting with chat GPT, where there's a company information or company proprietary technology or whatever it is, you can potentially filter those things out. Can you share with us a little bit about the work that you and your colleagues are doing there at Trua? I mean, uh, trust and safety is at the center of what you all do there. That is true. What we do is we have what we call a reusable, verified digital identity and screening. Meaning today, when you have to verify your identity or verify your background with anybody, right? you have to keep giving your personal information over and over again. Have you, nobody has ever solved that problem because everybody says, okay, I got to put uh, cybersecurity uh, boundaries around it. I have to protect this PII. Everybody's collecting. It's like a hot potato. The regulators coming down to, you know, smack all these big corporations that are collecting personal information. How about flipping the script and saying, okay, why don't we get it once in some safe place, right? And then reuse it over and over again without ever giving out any personal information. Okay, that is what we do. We, you get it once, you can use it multiple times. And then if you have to verify my identity or if you have to verify my background, you don't need to ask me nor I should provide you with any of my PII, like social, date of birth, address, and whatnot. Just the name, and then I have an interaction with you to say, okay, here's my identity verification. You scan the code, it's tokenized, and then boom, it's verified. Joe, what do you think? You know, Dave, when ChatGPT came up and started becoming a big thing back in February... Yeah, and everybody was starting up accounts and all that stuff. This problem occurred to me, mm. and I should have said something about it. <laughs> if only you'd said something, Joe. If only I'd said something. <laughs> you're putting the, the your, this text, whatever it is you're putting into a large language model, that goes in there and stays there. Right. Right? And it is their property forever. And if you need to be convinced of that— just go ahead and try to read the EULA, the End User License Agreement. Right. Uh, or or maybe you can actually get through reading it. Uh, I, I haven't gone through these things because I really, really hate them. And I also have only played with the anonymous ones that you can play with. <laughs> I haven't signed up for an account. Right. Um, and you'll very quickly see why, why, why this is the case. And Raj touches on that. He says the, the, these EULAs are like 10 pages of microscopic text they probably say, we get to keep everything, and it's all our property from now on. I wonder what would happen if you put uh, ChatGPT's EULA into ChatGPT and said, summarize this for me. you get a black hole. Okay? <laughs> black hole forms on your desktop. <laughs> right, exactly. You'd be a tear in the space-time continuum. Right. You end the universe as we know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, bad. We had, a, we had a good run, Joe. Right. Humanity had a good run. <laughs> you know that? You, should, you have a ChatGPT account, right? I do. You yeah. should do that. And see, summarize this for me and, yeah. and see what it says. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm sure it will try to summarize it for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's very good at summarizing things, actually. That's one of the things I find ChatGPT is particularly good at. In other words, if you're not relying on it to uh, generate information or facts on its own, 
right. but you're asking it to resynthesize information that you provided in the prompt. Right. It's actually exceptional at that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, the Ronald Reagan thing. Is he he used to say to his uh, to his entire cabinet, I don't want a twenty page report. Give me a one page summary. Yeah. Because I'm the commander in chief. You're the guy that's supposed to know everything in the report. I'm just supposed to make the executive decisions. Right. Right. And summaries are a great way to get that. So if the if this is um, if this is the way a, a good way to get those, uh, maybe I will sign up for an account. Yeah. But keep in mind. Everything you put in there, yeah, it's going to be saved and stored forever. That's right. Um, and and Raj makes an excellent point. This is a one way street. There's no getting it back. Right. It's like putting stuff on Facebook. You can, <laughs> you can say, "Go ahead, Facebook, and delete this." <laughs> Facebook goes, "Sure thing, buddy." Right. Yeah. And all like, they do like is we set, always say on uh, Grumpy Old Geeks, set visibility to zero. Right. Exactly. It's not deleted. <laughs> right. It, no, right. Nothing is ever deleted. They keep all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it may be available for other users to see. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you say, "Hey, uh, here's my resume," and then I go in and go, "Show me Dave Bittner's resume." It goes, "Here's what I have." Right. Um, it, I don't know if that's if that's a real risk. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in some of these models it will be. But either way, it's now 100% available to the company. Right. That becomes part of their training data. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, don't upload proprietary or confidential information to any of these models, ever. I mean, that is just a surefire way for losing your intellectual property. Yeah. You and Raj touched on this during the conversation briefly, but you can actually build your own large language model at home. Right. Um, I think we talked about this last week. And you, you don't need a super powerful computer. You need, a, you know, a, a Chromebook isn't going to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, a, a gaming PC will do it. Yeah. It will run one of these large models, uh, protect, particularly if you have a pretty good graphics processor. Yeah. That's really the, the barrier to entry into these things is having a good GPU. It's a matter of how fast you need your answer back. Right. Too. And, yeah. and, yeah, if you don't need your answer back right away, you can wait you know, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, or a minute for a response. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Raj Anathan Pillai from Trua for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 